Well, hey there, everyone. I'm Daniel Hahn, and I'm the online campus pastor here at Oxford Assembly of God Church, and this is our podcast. And I just want to thank you for listening today. We hope the message you're about to hear inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you see that God has a purpose for your life. And now, let's get into the message. As I mentioned, the message today sounds a little bit like a message for July 4th. I believe it's one that God wanted to share with us today, so I trust that it will be a blessing to you. I ask you to go with me to the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 33. Counsel the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of men. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. And then dropping down to verse 18, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death. And keep them alive in famine. Again, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I use for my text today a story that's recorded in the book of 1 Samuel. So many great truths in the story. And we usually break this story up into a lot of little categories. And there's a lot of great sermons in these few chapters. But today I want us to look at the story as a whole. I want us to look at it and see if we can hear what God is saying to the church today. See, the story covers from the transition from Israel being a theocracy. That means that they were following God totally to a monarchy where Saul is anointed king. It covers the time from Samuel's birth through the anointing of Saul and as the first king and actually most of Samuel's life. So it covers between 20 and 40 years. It's a period of time. See, Samuel was Israel's last judge. You know, we got the book of Judges. He was one of Israel's priests. And he was the anointer of the first king. Now, I don't know if you caught that prophet, priest, and king. Who fulfills that role? Jesus Christ. He's our prophet, priest, and king. And we understand that. The message this morning is not about Samuel. That's a great message. It's a great story. But our message deals around the, the nation, the nation of Israel during the time of Samuel. First Samuel begins with the birth of Samuel. Talks about Hannah praying and, and the priest Eli thinking she was drunk. Because she was weeping and crying and carrying on. Talks about the birth of Samuel and, and gets that. But again, the story's not about Samuel. Let's start with a little bit before that where Eli's, or right after that, where Eli rebukes his children. Now, the sad thing is that's as far as it got. All he did was rebuke his kids. And you say, well, how bad were they? Well, let's see what the book says in, second, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 22. Now, Eli was very old. Now, tell us a little bit later how old he was. And he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel 
and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that he hear from the Lord here are the people of the Lord spreading about. In other words, it was common knowledge. It was all the gossip. It was on all the news networks. Everybody was talking about how evil Eli's sons were. And he said, if someone sins against man, God will mediate for him. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father. For it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now that sounds like a cruel thing that God would say. That it was his will that they would be put to death. But the issue was they were totally denying God. They were doing their own thing because the, the last book concludes which says that this time they did not have a king. So everybody was doing what was right. Right in their own eyes. And here was the leaders, the people that had, God had said, your family would be in leadership, would be priests for generations. And now here these guys are living in such a despicable way. A prophet came to Samuel and told him something in, second, in chapter 2, verse 30. We don't know who the prophet was, but notice what he said. Verse 30, therefore, the Lord declares, or excuse me, therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promised you that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me. How long? Forever. I promised that to you. Yet would happen forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me for those who honor me, I will honor and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Now, let me say it was not saying that he changed his mind. He was saying, this is what I told you, but you did not listen. You insisted on going your own way. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress, you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. Now, let me read that verse again. It says, the only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared for what purpose? To weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your heart house shall die by the sword of men. That sounds pretty drastic, doesn't it? Then we have the calling of Samuel. You say, what do you mean the calling of Samuel? Again, this story is not about Samuel. But when he was just a boy, he was given by his mother back to the Lord to serve under Eli, the priest. And three times he heard the message, Samuel, Samuel. And each time he would go to Eli and say, hey, uh, you call me? And finally the light came on for Eli and said, hey, I'm not calling you. 
And on the third, second, after the second time, he said, you go back. And whenever he calls your name again, say, speak, my Lord, for your servant hears him. So we have God speaking to Samuel. Now, the message that God gave him was quite disturbing. Remember, he was just a child, just a young boy. And he received this message. We often speak of his calling, but we neglect to talk about the message. Well, what was the message? Chapter 3, verse 10. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Everybody's going to know about it. It's going to make all the news. Everybody's going to know about it. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from the beginning to the end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So it doesn't matter what they're going to do. It's going to be a bad situation. Now, Eli insisted and told Samuel, tell me what God said. How many knows for a young kid that was pretty intimidating? I mean, he controlled him. He was the man giving him leading. He was his mentor. And now Samuel said, now tell me the truth. Tell me what God said. And so Samuel told him. Now notice what he said. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what he seems. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. In other words, even as a young child, from this time on, he began to grow, and Eli's authority, Eli's impact, even though it had already been greatly taken away, it continued to diminish. And Samuel began to rise in prominence. The next chapter is very sorrowful. The ark was captured. The ark was so meaningful to the nation of Israel. The ark was captured. Eli's two sons were killed in battle. And when Eli received the message, while sitting near the city gate, he fell off his chair and broke his neck and died. Fulfilling the scriptures. They all three died the same day. One of his daughter-in-laws was pregnant. And let's read her story in chapter 4, verse 19. Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant, about to give birth. 
And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband was dead, were dead, she bowed and gave birth for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, about the time of her death, the woman attending her said to her, do not be afraid. I've got great news. You're going to have a son. You're born a son. But she did not answer or pay attention. And she named the child Ichabod. Now remember it said there'd only be one that lived. The mother died. The dad died. The grandfather died. The uncle died. The only one that was left was Ichabod, which means the glory has departed from Israel. Because the ark of God had been captured, and because of her father in law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. The ark of God. So she named her child Ichabod. Now, I don't want to make fun of names because I'd have to start with mine. Jimmy Durrell. See, my name's really not Daryl, it's Daryl. My family didn't know how to spell Daryl, so it's Daryl. <laughs> so I'm not going to make fun of anybody's names because you may have some of those unusual names. But I'm just going to be honest with you, I wouldn't want to be called Ichabog. Especially if I knew the meaning. God's glory has departed. God's glory has departed. And so ever how long he lived, and it says he would cry. Ever how long he lived, every time somebody said, there's Ichabod. He would be reminded that his mother named him because God's glory had left Israel. God's glory had left Israel. Chapter 5 covers the stay of the ark in the hands of the Philistines. Now they got the ark. They were so excited because the ark to them represented the power and the authority of God. But notice what happened. When the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it up from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon. Dagon was their main god. And set it up beside Dagon. They brought the defeated god. See, the ark to them represented the defeated nation of Israel. And they set it up next to Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face down forward, downward, on the ground before the ark of the Lord. Now what does falling on your face denote? Worship. This inanimate object had fallen down to worship the ark. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. And when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen 
face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the truck of Dagon was left. Man, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I'm not real bright, but if I was worshiping a God that fell down to another God, I think I'd change God's. I, I mean, it just makes sense to me. Now, some of you say, well, I don't know about that. Well, I like the saying, if your religion hasn't changed you, you may need to change religions. Just saying. But this Dagon fell down, and from then on, he was a, without arms, without a head. That doesn't sound like a real powerful God. But, you know, by then, these people had got an idea, we need to get rid of him. Because everybody that came around the ark, the Philistines were getting balls. They were getting sores. They were getting sick. And so they said, we've got to get rid of this. So they sent the ark home. But they had an issue. How do we do that? How are we going to send the ark home because we don't want to touch that thing. And if we take it, can you imagine loading it up and taking it to them and say, Hey, hey, Israel, we brought you God back. They knew they'd be killed. So what was they going to do? So we find an unusual, unusual story. They took two cows that had recently had calves. And they... Had never, they were not auctioned. They had never been broke to, to pull a wagon. But they put on this wagon, put the ark on the wagon, locked the calves in a pen, and said, let's see what happens. Any of you farmers in here, what would have happened in the natural? Those cows would have sat there and load and load. That means they call for their babies, for those that don't know. They would have sat there looking for their calves. That was the natural thing. The natural thing, if they'd never been broke, is tear that wagon up. But something was going on that was not natural. And when it's not natural, we call it supernatural. And these two cows made a beeline that was quite some distance, several miles quite a few miles, and they left and went home and took the ark home with them. And whenever they took the, the, got there, they slaughtered the cows, so the calves were left homeless, orphans. But that ark was taken back home. And I know somebody said, well, is that the end of the story? Well, almost. Let's go to chapter 7. Chapter 7 Verse 3, and Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all of your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the asterisk from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. In other words, they were beginning to, when the ark came back, they kind of got excited. They said, God's come back home. Let's worship him. And he says, if you're really sincere, 
You need to get rid of the Asherah. Get rid of those other gods and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Asherah and they serve the Lord only. Let me say that again. They put away the Baals and the Asherah and they serve the Lord only. Then Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mizpah. And I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it on before the Lord. And fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people. Let's go to verse 8. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. There's those rascals again. Here they come. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. Verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone and he made a memorial. He made a memorial. Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. Now some of you older folks, I know a lot of you that doesn't apply to, but some of your older folks that grew up in the Pentecostal church, you might have heard that phrase. It was in a song. He made an Ebenezer. Now what in the world's an Ebenezer? Well, I wouldn't have known except the scriptures tell me. The word Ebenezer means till now the Lord has helped us. They made a memorial reminding them that up till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And again Samuel lived a number of years. Samuel lived to be an older gentleman. And I know some of you say, well, how does that apply to us today? How does that apply to us today? Well, I think that's a good question. And I'm glad you asked it. Because the book in 1 Corinthians says this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6. Talking about all the things in the Old Testament. Now, these things took place for examples. That we might not desire evil as they did. So we would not do the same thing they did. And then if you drop down to verse 9. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did. And were destroyed by serpents. Now that's a good word. And were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did. And were destroyed by the destroyer. Verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction. On whom the end of the ages has come. So I think we could say without a shadow of a doubt that these, these stories were not just placed there because God needed to fill up the Bible. The Bible itself says if everything God did was put in the book, the work of God can them. 
So they're there for a purpose. What's the purpose? For our example. So let me just ask me, you this question. Let me ask you this question. Can the United States of America say as Samuel said, up until now, God has helped us? How many think that would be a true statement? Amen. Up till now, God has helped us. Now, I realize that the United States of America has not been perfect. We've had a lot of ups and downs. You know, I, I, I realize that. But I believe if you look at our history, if you realize how many skirmishes we've been through, if you realize 1.2 million people were killed giving us freedom, but if you look where God has brought us to, I think you could say with Samuel, up till now, God has blessed us. Up to now, God has helped us. That's what Ebenezer means. Up till now, God has helped us. For me, I think without a doubt, the answer is yes. That God has helped us. But this is my opinion. You don't have to agree with me. But I believe that now we as a nation are in a downward spiral. I believe we're in a downward spiral. We need, or we must, as a nation, come back to God. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We started out this message with, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That word blessed literally means happy. Happy. Now, it doesn't mean happy because of material blessings, although God has blessed us materially. But it means we're happy because we have been blessed by God. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I think we could use the fruit of the Spirit as an example. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How many of you think that those are sorely lacking in our culture today? Amen. Peace, love, hatred, self-control. I mean, there's an element that says we don't need self-control. Let's do all we want to. Isn't that what happened to the nation of Israel? They did everything which was right in their own eyes. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I think the lack of the fruit of the Spirit exemplifies what's lacking in America today. Think with me for a moment. Just ask the question. Does the word Ichabod describe our culture? I believe it's quite descriptive that 
the glory of God has departed. Now, I know this is going online. And I know there's a lot of people listening to this that do not attend the church. A lot of people that may not agree with this. But I, one of my friends, and yes, this is a friend put on Facebook this week. We need to build a wall. Now, hold on. But they had a wall being built with the government on one side and the church on the other. We need to separate God from all of our things. And folks, if we do, we can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, Ichibog. Ichibog. It's there. It's there. Because I think it depicts our culture. Now, I'm very hesitant about what I'm about to say, so I want to encourage you, if you're online or here, listen to me closely. I love America. I love our military. I'm so appreciative of those people that have we honor today that have given their lives for our country. But in Numbers chapter 21, you don't have to turn there. We have a story. It's about the nation of Israel. They rebelled. And because they rebelled, God allowed a snake or some serpents to come into their midst. And they were biting people. And they were dying by the hundreds. They were dying because of their rebellion and the snakes were biting them. And God instructed Moses to make a serpent. A bronze serpent. And he said, put it on a pole and lift it up. And those that looked on it would live. And they did. Now we know that that's a type of Christ. Because the Bible tells us in the New Testament that even as I am lifted up, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, we know that that was a type of Christ. And we as Christians today, we need to understand that that's our job. Not to promote Oxford Assembly. I love our church. Not to promote the Assemblies of God. Now, I love the Assemblies of God. But our message is to promote Jesus. Amen. Said, if I be lifted up. But that bronze serpent stayed with Israel until Hezekiah's day. Hezekiah's day. Let me just read one verse. Chapter 18. I don't even think I give this to the men. But verse 4, he removed the high places as they had a revival. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in places, pieces, the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. What had happened? That bronze serpent that had been used to deliver them, they had made a god of it. Now, this is what I hesitate saying because I'm afraid it'd be misconstrued.
I believe that some people have made a God of our nation and a God of our government and have made that our source instead of God being our source. The reason I hesitate to say that because I love our government, I love our nation. But that bronze serpent that had brought deliverance became an idol. Say, why are you saying that? Well, see, that verse, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, can't be flip-flopped. God has to be the Lord. Or the Lord is God, not our nation. And many, many people today are making our nation or our government the source. And that source will lead to destruction, not to deliverance. A number of years ago, one of the political parties, I won't name it, but one of the political parties had a slogan, principle over party. I'd love to see that come back to being. That our principles, our biblical principles, our godly principles would be not what would govern us, not our politics. In closing, I want you to think of this. If we go under as a nation, the lives of thousands that were slain to give us freedom, in essence, will be wasted. Because we lose what they fought for. If we go under as God's people, I know the church is going to survive because God says it will. But if we cease to serve God, his dying on the cross is wasted. You say, well, where are you headed? I'd like to remind you, it says, thus far, God has blessed us. On this Memorial Day, I'd like to lift up a memorial and say, thus far, God has blessed us. Thus far, and I know some of you may be sitting here and say, well, Pastor, you're making it sound like we're in dire straits. It will never happen in America. How many have said that quite a bit recently? That would have never happened 20 years ago. That would have never happened a year ago. What was the last verse? I think I read it. I might have stopped early. I think I did. But let me go back and read the last passage I'd read. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. That he stands. Take heed. Thus far. God has blessed us. I'd like to ask you spiritually today. For you to make a memorial. Taking nothing away from our. Memorializing tomorrow for our military. But to make a memorial 
in our minds. Here's the Ebenezer. Thus far, God has blessed us. But I don't want it in here. I don't want it to become an ichibog. I want to hear the words, blessed is the nation. Blessed is the nation whose kingdom is the Lord's. Thus far, God has blessed us. And I know some of you say, well, wait a minute. We can't do anything. It's overwhelmed us. And I, I realize that it's an overwhelming task. And as one person said, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Well, how do you establish a memorial? How do you change the world? Jesus gives the example in the book of Revelations. In a message to the church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, didn't say if everyone, because I'm going to tell you, if you had to have everyone, it would never happen. But if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him. Folks, you don't have to wait for a majority. Aren't you glad? You don't have to wait for a majority to have a revival. You don't have to wait for, have a, wait for revival, a revival to establish your memorial. You can say, up to now, God's been with us, and I want to continue because I want to trust God. We often use that scripture that we just quoted as an evangelistic verse, and it is. But if you read it in its context, it's a message to the churches. To the churches that have drifted away. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I believe that right now, and I'd love to be totally wrong, but I believe right now the Holy Spirit's knocking on our hearts. And I thank God that there are some great things going on that you'll never hear on the news. There are some great things going on that God is still working. That God's Spirit has not been taken away from us. But some of us have drifted away from His Spirit. So let's make a memorial. Thus far, God has been with me. And blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Would you bow your heads in prayer? Holy Spirit, we ask you to minister to us today. To those online and those right here in person. Speak to us individually. Speak to us collectively. God help us to... Realize we can't speak for a nation. We can't speak for anyone else but ourselves. But I can certainly say, up to now, God has blessed us. Up to now, God has blessed me. And I do not want to forsake him or turn away from him. I never want it to be said about Ichabog. I don't want my family name. I do not want my name to go down as being 
His Spirit has departed. So, Father, we just ask you to minister to us, each one, at our point of need and our level of understanding. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He's knocking at your heart's door today. And if you'd like to open that door, and only you can open it, He will not force it open. But if you'd like to respond to that knocking, I'd like to encourage you to step up, stand up from where you are, and just make your way to the front, and someone will meet you here to pray with you. But as Christians today, you may sense that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and said, this is an example. This is given an example that you can forsake God. He'll never forsake you. He never forsook Israel. He did not forsake Eli's family. They forsook him. And if you just need to make up a memorial and say, God, today, I want to take a stand and say, thus far he's been with me, and I surrender to him afresh and anew today. I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to do that. On behalf of our pastor and staff here at OAG, we want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. We are grateful for you and the support you give our church and its ministries so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do to be the family church for the family of God. For more content from Pastor Strickland and Oxford Assembly of God, check out our media website at oag.church/media.